Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with me. It is the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. They're driven by passion. So are we celebrating their 100th anniversary this year. On the podcast this week, it's part two of my chat with Nathan Pretty. Now, when we left part one, he'd just given up driving cabs in Wodonga as he'd signed to drive for the Holden Racing Team. Now, on part two, we talk about driving for HRT. We talk about all of the endurance driving he did for so many great Holden teams, some great Peter Brock stories too in this episode. And of course, we cannot talk with this guy without talking about the yellow Monaro, the 2002 Bathurst 24-hour winning Nations Cup Monaro 427 and how Nathan played a role in not just winning that race, but keeping the car in the race. There's plenty of great stories along the way. This is a fantastic part two with Nathan Pretty. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of Nathan Pretty on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. In 2002, you and Rick yep. team up again, Young yep. Lions car, EA Sports actually back in on that car. That yeah. was very much a HRT third car alongside yeah. the the Scaife and Bright cars. So you finished fourth, yep. which I think stands – that was your best Bathurst 1000 finish. Yeah. So s- super year. Your stocks are really rising here because you've done the job that you first got signed up to do. You haven't gone crashing. You've delivered some nice performances and results. So is that what gets the Monaro? Because w- when I think of O2, I don't th- think so much of you just missing a Bathurst 1000 podium. Yeah. I think about the Monaro program that comes around the same time. Is that how it kind of felt I to you that your so. stocks had risen to the point where they went, we need a guy, you? Yeah, I guess in, you know, by that stage I'd, I'd done the job each year which I was employed to do and that's hand the car over or be the lead driver in 01 as I was with, with Rick in the car and then to get the drive with Rick then to be the the backup driver and the other co-driver and hand the car back to him, we almost finished on the podium. You know, if it wasn't for that late stages where he's, you know, got damp and he's accidentally hit Larry off the track and we got That's a, right. I remember that now. Yeah, he had to um, readdress. It was unfortunate because we, we nearly finished on the podium and it was the best year of my life in 2002 to then get a call up for not only, though, prior to that was to do the – I was part of the other HRT – the Holden Rally team. Yeah, that's right. So I went to Bathurst and did the, the Australian Safari as well in that year. So I went back there three times that year. Honestly, <laughs> best best year of my life. And it was only 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> 20th anniversary season yeah. this year. Yeah, but it was very cool, yeah. Then to get that call up to to be a driver in this Monaro, this big banging thing that they're building for the, for the Nations Cup and for a 24-hour endurance race. Did you have to go lobby for that or did they pick you? No, they, they, they picked me, yeah, I, and honestly, I mean, I, I really to this day don't know how it sort of come about other than, yeah, just I guess doing the job that each time I was handing the car back, you know, without dints and, and bends and crashing or doing anything silly but just doing the job. Um, and then, yeah, to get that call, that was honestly, once again, just a, another dream. So, yeah, I was living the, the best years of my life. Do you remember the first time that you drove the Monaro? 
It was unbelievable. Yeah, sequential then. You know, it wasn't your H pattern stuff across the gates and everything, and and it was just a big thumping thing. You could, I just remember driving the thing. It didn't matter how cloudy it was, with the amount of induction this thing had, it would turn some crappy old day into a clear day because it had sucked the clouds in from the sky and through that airbox. And those big wide tires, it just it handled like a race car you didn't have to have this finesse like you did in a supercar you could actually throw this thing around and it wouldn't do anything ugly mm. so they did an amazing job grm did an incredible job to build this car from the ground up off the back of what was you know a, a road car and the great irony if i remember correctly well not irony but the the situation is that the a lot of people will write and say now that that car was built for the 24 hour it actually wasn't. It was originally built for the Nations Cup and the 24-hour mm. came along after that and then they went, whoa, that's a bit hard to not have a crack at. We'll fast track it and get it going. So you guys went up there with that car yourself, Garth Tander, Steve Richards and Cam McConville was added quite late yeah. as the fourth driver to the point where he's photoshopped into the poster. Yes, he is <laughs> on Steve A's body. Yes. <laughs> if you look on eBay, there's probably a poster around somewhere, but that's – yeah, it's um, it's Richo's body, but it's <laughs> yeah, McCong's head. Yeah. Um, no real scenario there where you're thinking, because the car hadn't done thousands mm. and thousands of kilometres of testing that would normally be the case. It was very much still an untried, unproven thing. Oh, 100%. We didn't do many laps at all because I was still trying to get all the spare componentry all built and everything as well. We didn't have – every time we took the car out, we had nothing for it. If something happened to it – and I think it was only a couple of times that we did some sort of test in the lead-up to it. It was a very unknown thing and – as I said, I mean, they did a, an unbelievable job. Yeah, we had issues through the race, but the lead-up to it was, wasn't by any means perfect. Did you have to deliberately hold it back? Through a reliability thing we did, yeah, for Rather sure. Rather than showing your hand oh, with yeah. how fast it could be. Yeah, I mean, look, there was a couple of cases where I think it could have done a lot better and a lot faster because it was a beautiful car to drive, didn't do anything ugly, but you did had to hold a bit back in reserve mm. just purely for a reliability thing. You know, knowing that we're about to do a 24-hour race and, you know, I mean, as far as I know, none of us had done anything like that in the past. Say, certainly was, around one was, of the What was the longest tracks. race you'd ever done? A Bathurst 1000? Bathurst 1000, yeah, a double stint maybe in, at mm. Bathurst, which it might have been about an hour and, and something at any one time. Mm. Um, yeah, so there was a, it was cool. It was in the lead up to it. It was trying to get your head around. You might have to get the call up at any stage. So trying to get your body clock into waking up at whatever time, which was difficult <laughs> um, at the best of it, to try and get yourself ready and and be on point to jump in that car and to drive that thing the way it needed to be driven, whether it it be a bit reserved or if you had to push, you had to push and what were the lights going to be like and what were the other cars? It was a big field. So, you know, there was going to be a massive speed discrepancy between the some slowest and the cars. fast ones, mate. It was unbelievable. <laughs> you would come out of the forest elbow and you'd come and there wouldn't be a car in sight but yet you'd come through the chase just down that straight bit of road and through the chase and you're passing two mirages <laughs> down into the braking marker. Those poor things. I don't know how many doors we sucked off but, <laughs> off their cars, but, wow, I mean, they, they must have had a, a good inventory of spare doors <laughs> because those poor things, they must have driven that whole race, one, one eye on the rear vision mirror and one eye out the front. It, it must have felt like there were nine million of them in that race because you would have passed them every 
couple of laps. Yeah, but yeah. There, there was an important. You talked about the chase. There was mm. an important part of that race, and we have talked about it. I yeah, know before, yeah. but it's it's a critical part of the story of that first win in the twenty four hour. Where it's what three, four early hours of the morning. You're mm. in the car. <laughs> you yeah. clearly lost rock paper scissors, and you've ended up off the road and, yeah. and had to basically physically get out, rock yeah. the car backwards and forwards, and put a bit of bushman mechanic mentality into it. To get it going again. Yeah. There's no denying the fact that I wasn't going to be that guy because I knew <laughs> that would be it. <laughs> as high as what supposedly my stakes were at the time, I'd be null and void, you know, and I might guy. be moving to New South Wales <laughs> across the border, <laughs> never to be seen again. But it, I just wasn't going to be that guy that I know that it wasn't my fault that the crash, she unfortunately had a, an incident in the BMW going through the chase and got a bit wobbly and I just went around the outside into my door and then off into the – and at that stage I hadn't made it all the way to the gravel, but there was some big ruts. And, he, and where where are you on, at on the, the chase? On the outside, on the ridges side of the, yep. the chase, and but facing the wrong way with the thing after that stage not had been turned off at any stage after how I don't know how many hours at that point, but it I couldn't get it into neutral to restart it because the gearbox and the way that I was just stuck in this divot, I couldn't start it. I could not start it because I couldn't put the clutch in because it had just I thought the battery's dead. But if I can get it in neutral, I know I'll get it started. So I said to the guys, I'm getting out because I just knew I would I would carry that car back if I had to. I just was not going to leave it out there and know that our race was done. And, and just knowing what I had to do it was to get out and rock the thing just out of this divot enough to be able to put the sequential across and, and up into so you're neutral. you're standing at the driver's door sort of yeah. trying to just rock the thing backwards and forwards. Yeah. This is a, what, 1,400-odd kilo oh, yeah, car. More. I think they yeah. were more. And then just try to get it, d- dive in to put it into neutral. That didn't work, but I knew I had to go, go again. I had to try and get it out. It was like it was stuck in a... A massive hole, not just a, a little divot. So to try and rock it out was yeah, it was a struggle. But I, I dove in and, and got it, and I thought, I because it was key start. <laughs> so I had the key. I'm outside the car still. And I knew I'd got it in neutral, and I keyed it, and it started. So I dove back in, built it back up, radio back in, and and gave them you know the good news that I'm I'm heading back to the pits and. Yeah, as it turned out, I, I made it back to the pits. Yeah, the side of the car was fairly caved in and all the rest of it, but I made it back to the pits. And and the guys just thought, well, we're here. Fill it back up, drive a change. Send it. Yeah, send it. And, mm. you know, we, yeah, as it turned out, it's all history now. But <laughs> it was a funny time because, uh, yeah, it was just that mentality of having to finish that race for the sponsors, you know, and, and being part of such an iconic bunch of guys and, and an exercise at holding an undertaken, um, I just knew that let's let's finish the race because we'd already had a lot of issues at that time in the lead up to even that. And, you know, we we're still in good stead. We we're still part of it. We we're still the car was circulating, but I didn't want it coming back on the back of a flatbed, that's for sure. <laughs> it worked out okay because you guys ended up winning the race at mm. the end of twenty four hours. Is standing on that podium in November 2002 the greatest moment of your career? Yeah, I think so, yeah, for sure. And to know that then PB was up there too, he it was it was a pipe dream of his, his as well. It was another Monaro and he'd driven a Monaro and he was there representing Holden and have him. I reckon it got him a bit excited for the next oh, year. Oh, yeah, it did, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, and to see, I've, I've never experienced what it's like on the podium up there at Bathurst with the crowd, even though 
not a massive crowd, but the crowd was quite big and jovial at the the podium celebration at the end of it. So that was, yeah, it was unreal. I knew it was a battle at the end of that race too. It was a battle with that Porsche and it was coming down to the wire. And unfortunately for them, they, they had an incident where that damaged the car and put them out of the race. But otherwise it was going to go down to the wire. It was going to be a, I mean, it still was for us a very iconic race for sure. And lucky that we got to stand on the top step of it, but otherwise it was, yeah, a cool spectacle. Special car. It stands out to so many people 20 years on. I think the colour played a big part of that, yeah. but just the fact that it was it was controversial because it yeah. wasn't a oh, traditional yeah. GT car. There are those who say it shouldn't have been there, it wasn't a production-built car, it wasn't as per it was supposed to be. But the facts were pro car were always going to find a way to get Holden oh, yeah. into a Bathurst endurance race and into a category that's a Nations Cup in Australia. Yep. It needed Australia in it. It's like yeah. the World Cup of Cricket without Australia playing. Like, I know. Play it at the MCG, huh? Yeah. It, it was a way to, to, to bring it all together and, and to get it all involved. So every time we write about that car, every time we talk about it on our socials, it lights up, good, bad, or indifferent. So it must have done something right. Oh yeah, look, and I cop a lot of that as well with the, a lot of the indifferent for sure. With a lot of people that know a bit about some of that nation's cup and all the rest of it, you know, with the fact that the car should never have been allowed to race and all the rest of it. But look, when it all boils down, as you said, an iconic figure in Australian motorsport is the line. Mm. And you know, I guess if Ford had been smart enough or had the money to do it, they would have done it. 100% because to be involved in such an iconic race, it doesn't matter whether you go up there and, and ride a push bike around that place, around Mount Panorama, to drive a Holden around that joint uh, was was very cool. And you got to then become the yellow car driver. So mm. off the back of that, GRM run the car in Nations Cup full-time. Next couple of years, you drive the Enduros with GRM, so I presume that was all tied together as the, yeah. the one deal. But not just the chance that you're getting like a – a busier calendar of racing, Peter Brock's your teammate. So I reckon, I reckon if your yeah. old boy had a tear in 2000, yeah. oh, he's balling in 03, his boy's going to be a factory holding driver, he's won at Bathurst, and Peter Brock's his teammate. This is pinch me stuff. Yeah, for sure. As I said, I mean, I grew up idolising that guy and then to have a fair bit to do with him through the, the rally team as well and, man, I mean, it's another time but I've got some classic stories about PB out in the bush, in the middle of nowhere, just the icon that he is is just an absolute classic and stuff that I'll I'll take to my grave and oh, I mean I can talk about as Go well for because it. we love a Brock story. It's just you know just a unique guy. I mean I, my job in the rally team was to back PB and because I was very good with my hands in order to get that car to the finish line and it didn't matter what, what happened out and in the bush. And these were jackaroos, weren't they? Jackaroos and he was – we were both in the same category at the time and he was ahead of me so he would go out first and I'd be, you know, whether it be however many minutes behind him or cars and all the rest of it. And at one stage we've we've come and I've got across the radio that PB's had a, a big crash at such and such point of this stage. And these were massive stages. These aren't world rally stages of 7Ks long. These are – 130 kilometre stages and we are the back of Burke literally somewhere just deep in the bush and and I knew I was coming up to where he was and anyway I'm still racing but I'm there to, to back PB and if he needs a hand stop and help him that's the, the job that I was to, to do and I get to the point and PB's on the side of the track so I slide up stop window down just casually waltzes over to me with his Oh, it must have been a litre and a half tub of black tea. 
<laughs> and he used to have Velcro on the bottom of it because even though these were a rally car, they had carpet still in him because it was part of the showroom classic, the showroom category. And he would Velcro his big cup of tea to the carpet in under his feet. And then, you know, wrestling this thing through the bush and then he'd <laughs> off the carpet, have a sip and then put it back on the car. And he still had his tea. So he's rocked up to me. I said, PB, you okay? Everything all right? He's like, got the window down. He just waltzes over, just casually as. I'm like, is everything all right, PB? You know I'm still racing. And he just leans on it. He goes, Nathan, no, it's not. Um, I've had a bit of a, an incident and I could see off through the bush his car and it's not looking too good. It's, it's bummed down. And he's hit a stump and it's ripped the diff out of the thing. And I said, do you want me to help? What do you need me to do? And he's like, there's not really much you can do. You know, it's just unfortunate. Some days are, are good, some days are not, and today's not. And he just kept just going around in circles about, but, you know, when you it all boils down, the weather, it's just a, it's a beautiful day. It's not my day. And I'm going, PB, I'm still racing. If, if, if I'm you're good, I've got to go. Yeah, I'll pull over and I'll help you because I, I know a way to get you back. We might have to ratchet strap this diff back in and put some logs in under, do what we need to do, we'll, we'll get you back. And he's like, there's not much that can help me other than a trailer. And as it turned out, he was stuck in that bush until I think this would have been about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I think he was stuck in there about 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> By the time they all the cars had finished racing, they got in there with the trailer to get him out. Um, but he was some of his stuff. He, there was lineups of people at Cobar or White Cliffs or Lightning Ridge. In the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere, they knew who Peter Brock was and the lineups in some of these showgrounds would have been hundreds of metres long. You know, and to be a part of that and and off his cuff sign three of the <laughs> 3,000 autographs that he did was was really cool. I mean, he was such a great guy. So you're right, to grow up idolising the guy and then to have, to have him as my teammate was some of the best years of my life and I learned a lot from him. That Nations Cup year would have been good fun. You, so you're in the yellow car. They built mm. another one. Yeah. We call it the red car because yeah. it was red, which I think that, that car actually Ross Palmer and Procar had funded, but GRM ran it yeah. as, a, as a team car to you. So not only do you get to do some you know some safari off-road rallying stuff, then your teammates for a Nations Cup and for the next year's 24-hour where you're, up, you're actually up against one another this time around, though. Yeah, yeah, which was really cool. I mean, you, you have a, a, so much respect for the guy anyway, but we're competitors. At the end of the day... You know, our cars were the same, but it's whoever. Some tracks I was not so good at, you know, some tracks he wasn't. So it was kind of a, a mixed thing about where we're running and certainly then there was a bit of the um, depends, uh, what was it, yeah. Oh, sorry, the, you know, if you if you won a race, they would then oh, you penalise penalty. you. Yeah, yeah the penalty stuff. Parity wait, stuff parity, parity, yeah, parity restrictors stuff. for various cars yeah. or ride So then you'd be nowhere the next meeting and yeah. then the other car and would And that's what would caused a lot right, of the controversy in Nations Cup. Yeah, oh, for sure, because it was always very hard to do when you've got so many different brands of cars. Mm. I mean, you've got Lamborghinis so and Ferraris and you've got Maseratis and Porsches and 
Holden's, mm. <laughs> um, which was bizarre. So a lot of the the racing was really cool, and there was obviously some really fierce competitiveness between me and JB John Bow, and and also Stokel. There was, you know, some some pretty nasty stuff at times for sure. Oh, nasty in on track or off track? Oh, on track. Yeah, you know, there was there was a, a love hate relationship. I mean, we loved to hate each other, especially me and Stoke Kelly. And then we we started working together. You know, so doing a lot of the driver training for different manufacturers, doing what's what and, we thought. And you was like right. one another now? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Oh, I was just, no, just going to. It's just that competitiveness yeah, where yeah. you know it's and it's healthy. It's mm. one of those things like you just you're driven to beat someone, and and that was my drive to try and beat um, Stoke Kelly because he was so good. He'd won so many, what, Gold Star series mm, and all yeah. the rest of it. He was such a good driver. And knowing that he was in a, a Lamborghini and we're in a, a Holden to try and beat him. And then JB in the the Ferrari, you know, there was some harsh words said. It was it was cool because that freedom of speech stuff was was very cool back then where you could just say what you wanted, just whatever. <laughs> you, you weren't going to get fined. I mean, these supercar guys, they, they've now got to be, to a fair extent, politically correct in the way they, they come across to the media and stuff, whereas back then you could be pretty nasty. Do you have a favourite Nations Cup race that wasn't the 24 hours? Is there one that stands out? I guess Winton. I, it was my home track, you know, and and I had some race. I, th- I think each year I, I won. I won at I think Winton. you won the two years in a row. Yeah, yeah, there. And so I had some very good races there in front of my home crowd because being a Wodonga boy, it was only an hour down the freeway. And so that was very cool. And, and I guess at one stage, thanks to Garth, he was leaving the track early. He was up there with Leanne and he was leaving the track early. And he was heading down the freeway. And I think this is really even before you would look at the bomb to mm. know that the weather was closing in and, and so on. And and he said, he told the boys that the rain's coming, so get ready and get the wets ready. So we got the wets ready and everything. I think we were nearly one of the only ones to to go out on wets. And I ended up winning the race by a, a long way. I, I think I was, I remember being there actually. Because, yeah, because Garth said that the rain's coming and. Good gave call. It, yeah, gave us a good call. But I think Winton, yeah, because of having that that local stuff behind me to, to win the, both those races. But otherwise, my first Nations Cup win down in Tassie was was really cool to go down there because Gary was really cool to be, uh, you know, have as a, a team owner to instill his trust in me to drive that car. And I think even to this day, I I crashed it once uh, in the point where in the two and a bit years of driving that car. We only ever put one front bumper and one bonnet on that car. Not a bad, yeah, yeah. not a bad average when you average it all out over how many races and kilometres and sessions that you did. Yeah, yeah, not so, so bad, not no. so bad. So it was, it was really cool, but great, great years to be a part of. And as I said, to have to have the icon there, and you know, to be in the car with him, going to different signing sessions and so on, and hear some of the stories, and it was just with with him and Bev and. Yeah, you know, some classics. I mean, I know how left a field they were with some of the things on the way that you ate and just a real classic one was when I was eating breakfast at Phillip Island on my own and I'm down there eating Cocoa Pops for breakfast, right? And Bev comes over and says, Nathan, you need to eat healthier because at the moment your sugar levels are going to spike and then through the day you're going to just hit a low and then you're not going to be able to retain, you know, these levels and you need to eat healthy. So she sat down a bowl of Just Right and I had milk and I, and I don't like soggy rice bubbles, Cocoa Pops, so I'm still trying to eat and she's like, just listen to me. And she did this thing with hold your hand out now, put your fingers in your bowl of right of cocoa pops, 
I'm like, oh, really? I can't eat them now. Yeah, and I put my other hand out and she put her hand out and she held it. She goes, now push down, um, you know, with with my hand. And I couldn't push her hand down. And I'm like, oh, she goes, see, you don't have the strength. Now put your fingers in this bowl of just right. And then she put her hand back out and I put my hand out. And then she said, now push down. I nearly smacked her hand through the table. She said, see, look at the strength you have through just healthy eating. And thinking about the foods that you need to intake through the day. And I'm like, right, the biggest problem I have now is I've got soggy Cocoa Pops. So once she went back to her table with PV and sat down and had their breakfast, I went back up, got me Cocoa Pops, a fresh bowl of Cocoa Pops, and come back and sat down and ate them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I still was all right. I ate me bananas and stuff through the day. But uh, <laughs> but it was, it was really, it was really, <laughs> that's just one of a few different instances where, Different. Love Let's it. call it different, but, yeah, it was very cool. Love it. <laughs> so the Nations Cup Monaro program, or Nations Cup winds up because Pro Car pulled the pin mm. early 04. It limped its way through the rest of the year. I think the last time – you didn't do the last round at Malala. You did. You ran at Wakefield Park and that was the last time that that car mm. raced in 2004. So you're, you, you are the yellow car driver. Yes, the other guys did the two years of the 24 hours, mm. but otherwise it was – oh, Brock raced at Albert Park before yeah, his yeah. red car was – was okay. built in 03. Just to cover off that Monaro period, we haven't talked about the second year of the 24-hour. Yeah. So that was a, a war between the two cars. It was an yeah. inner team fight. So many people will say, ah, they slowed the yellow one down so the red one could win. So Brock could win the 10th the with Todd, Murph and Bridie Bridie, were, were yeah. in that car yeah. that year. Is that one of the best races that you guys have, have had because it was just you guys duking it out for 24 yeah. hours? Yeah, and it, and it wasn't the case that Brock was going to win. I mean, we were leading that race for most of the the whole 24 hours nearly. It was unreal where we'd qualified on pole and, and PB was next to us and, and I started the race and PB was next. And, you know, I led that first couple of laps there and then I knew PB was on a mission. Like he just wanted to lead that race and I thought – this is not in our little team chat, you know, that, that he's going to wrestle this car to the front and, and clear off. So anyway, I just I let him go and then and he cleared out a little bit and we just stuck to our team plan that we were going to do with, with the 427. And as it turned out, you know, yeah, they had some issues, we had some issues throughout it. But at the end of that, like in the 23 and a half hours, we were locked in a one-to-one battle with our sister car. And, and unfortunately, they had track position you know, because of us having another fuel issue that they had track position on us. And it was to have GT, I think, in at the time and Murph was in the other car. And, and Gary honestly said, all right, boys, fair fight to the end. Don't take each other out. And I think the funniest part is listening to the vision with the radio call that Murph's response is virtually, you what? Huh? We're racing. Like, it was, what, eight minutes to go or seven yeah. minutes to go or something like that. There are steaming shit piles of cars limping around the track that have been hauled out of the pit lane from five hours ago trying to just get the last lap in to be a finisher of this marathon race. And here are these two maniacs slicing one another, trying to weave their way in between limping, smoking crap heaps and all sorts of stuff around the track in this brutal fight to the death 
it could have gone so horribly wrong. Oh, yeah, because I don't know what times they were doing in the end, but they certainly stepped they it up stepped a bit. They stepped it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was to know that there were both cars and, and a fair chance between these two. I mean, you know, we're talking about two iconic guys as well <laughs> that have won their fair share of Bathurst. Well, and, and Murph was a month having just done Lap of the Gods and winning the 1,000. So, yeah. you know, that was the period he was in. Oh, yeah, he was right at the top and GT was only a couple of years after him winning mm. Bathurst as well. So these guys weren't going to back down and I thought this could end really badly or it could end really well. And, yes, we'd come off the, the previous year winning and, as it turned out, I mean, to finish second to those in a 1-2 finish is it's it's iconic. It is, you know, as much to a lot of people's disgust in why those cars were even racing, so be it, you know. When it all boils down, I mean, suck eggs. They did. <laughs> um, and That's one way to put it, yeah. Yeah, to be part of it was really cool because it comes back to that thing, you know, with John Stevenson and, and Simon McNamara and, and these guys involved with Holden, um, Gerald looking after all our media stuff back then, you know, um, we had some pretty cool things in the lead up to those races, you know, with the drop, drop bears and stuff, trying to freak out some of these Euros. The drop bears, you know, the drop bears. Oh, is this the one that you told them was? Yeah, the drop bears. You've got to watch out. You, when, don't always just look out the front of the windscreen, you might have to look up in the trees for the drop bears because you could get a drop bear on you. But you could tell them the standard thing that they tell them every year, which is true about the kangaroos and all that stuff. A lot of these drivers that come for the 12 hour now don't believe them. No. But it's you could have you could have used a legit story, but you went drop bears. Yeah, yeah. We, we want to Just scare add them. a bit of sauce to it. Well, because a kangaroo you're going to see out your screen, but we wanted to make them look up into the trees <laughs> as well while they're going around the track. But I mean, a lot of these different things. But these guys, at the end of it, um, to to duke it out like that, and to have our two cars, you know, in the lead and the battle was once again. It was testament to to GRM to build two cars to last twenty four hours. That's just an incredible feat. So take my hat off to them still and, to this and day. And those boys, Mike Exel, Jeff Marshall, they've done it again in more recent times with putting together another car that GRM put together. That's a, yeah. a sister car. It's a facsimile version, virtually of the the yellow and the and the red cars. So to even have those parts laying around? I think they had to get what some the? parts. Yeah, I think they had to get some more parts built. I think they actually pulled the yellow car apart to replicate some of the, the parts from. But have you driven that yellow car since you raced it last? I, I drove it still and it still had the the Wakefield Park sticker on the uh, steering wheel and my name, just my name on the windscreen as well from Wakefield uh, for, for Gary's birthday. The when 70th up at Queensland. The 70th up at Queensland. I got to go up and, and drive it, albeit slow around the track. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, being a bit sentimental, I mean, you know, if I didn't have a little tear and stuff thinking this is really cool to be yeah. even get the opportunity to drive around at this speed, that car is a is a – obviously a massive part of my life and and who I was back in the day with driving. So, yeah, once again, just very privileged to be a part of that and to drive something so iconic and to be involved with the people I was was, yeah, a very cool part of my life. Very cool. Mm. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Let's talk a little bit supercarry. So the Enduros roll on. There's a couple of years that you, you go and drive for Keys and Paul Wheel with the, the super cheap cars. Um, again, you're in the top ten or top eight, top six. I think you and – I'm pulling out the sheet here – 
You and Owen Kelly were sixth in 05 from the back of the grid from memory, I think you were that mm. year. Um, you were eighth with Wheelie the next year. So you just kept uh, – so you went 34th to 6th in 05. In 06, you went 30th to 8th. In 07, you drove for HRT with Cedo, 29th to 11th. Jack Perkins at Larry's in the Jack Daniels car. We'll get to the – there's a story about Larry I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18th to 8th. So you are just punching these results year yeah, in, which year says out. one obviously very consistent thing that shit house at qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> but not but all no, those were my no fault. no one remembers where you qualified. <laughs> no, you're eh? right, 100%. At the end of the day, it's it's that finish line. And it just it's a, you know yourself how that race is and how difficult it is to even get a car to the finish line. And certainly those early years, they're very reliable now, but mm. you've still got to be able to get the car to the finish line. So mm. that comes down to, yes, the, the two nuts, the steering wheel attendants in the car, but the, the teamwork because obviously mm. the teamwork. Makes the dream work. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so these guys have been great to be involved with a lot of these different teams with, yeah, with Keys Wheel and, and Wheelie having their own team and, and so on. But, yeah, to be part of walking shores and, and having GRM. And, and with these drives, was this Holden placing you there or was this you doing your individual um, deal with Holden's Blessing? Okay, yeah, doing well, individual deals. Would love, individual would love deals. So me, myself and I were my manager and, you know, marketer and, and all the rest of it. But One man band. Doing it, yeah, most of the time doing a shit job at it. But uh, for money-wise, it wasn't – and I always said to myself, being a country boy, if I got that opportunity to do that sort of thing, it was never going to be about the money. It was always going to be about my heart and doing what I love to do. And so, yeah, look, the money, to be honest, was never great. But to be involved with these teams and to do that, because I got an opportunity to, to go and drive with Courtney had I wanted to, um, and this is in the Jim Beam, the Jim Beam DJ days, area, yeah. which, yep. yeah. When he went on to, to win. But my heart said, once again, it was never going to be about the money and being Wodonga boy, my loyalty meant more to me than than a dollar figure. I never made a lot of money anyway. So what was the difference? Getting another 15 grand? That wasn't going to make me happy. But the loyalty meant more to me because of how good Simon and, and John were to me in the days. Give me cars. I didn't have to drive. I didn't have to buy and have my own car. They gave me cars to, to drive from the factory, So, which was very cool. And, and to me, that was a, a massive monetary figure anyway because mm. I didn't have to outlay to buy a, a car mm. and I would have only had enough money anyway to buy some sort of shit heat, <laughs> to be honest. But... So that was a big thing. You know, I did have other opportunities to go and drive for the Oval um, and still to this day I, I sit here quite proud of the fact that I've only driven a red and red runs through my veins and it's only ever been for the general. So apart from the, the chance to go to drive with James Courtney at Jim yeah. Beam, what other blue oval opportunities were there? There, there were some little thing, little Little snippets, chats. Here. Little chats here and there, you know. Um, and I just, yeah, once again it wasn't. It was never going to be something more than probably just that because I didn't even go and have meetings and so on then. It was just verbal stuff over mm. the phone. It just wasn't worth it because I didn't. my heart wasn't in it. Mm. And there was no point wasting their time especially um, as, as well as Scrub my time. Scrub me from your list. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not interested. I still had stuff so yeah. you know, in the pipe works. And, um, and that's when it all, I guess, started to unfold a little bit through that later years where still having that – that whole idea of getting to the finish line and, and withholding some tents 
back. You know, I had an opportunity to drive for Tasman in the, the second car. I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, so that was once again where it, it's quite funny because I know getting out of that car, I, they, they covered up the stickers to know that we didn't know what times we were doing and I felt pretty good about it. But at that time I was – I was, I was very fit. I was very fit, but I, time, I sweated. I sweat a lot, you know. Just naturally. That's just naturally. You. You're just a sweater. A, yeah, just a sweater. And, you know, I'd get out of the car because it was winter, hot through the middle of the day. And, and, and we should put the, the little quick picture around this. Yep. This is at the end of 2005. Yep. Jamie Winkup has signed to go to drive for Roland. Yeah. Tasmanita driver. Yeah. So there's yourself, Andrew, Andrew Jones, Jones and Luke Gilden were the three yep. that were pitted against one another for a winter shootout, mm. basically. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I knew I'd done a pretty good job, but there was other, you know, factors in the back end that, that didn't help. And I know that he said, oh, you know, geez, your buddy, you look unfit. And I said, well, I mean, at the end of the day, I could run around this track until you told me to stop. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't stop until I was physically exhausted, but physically wise and my fitness was quite elite. I was I was doing a lot of stuff at that time, but I just sweat. At the end of the day, it's just water coming back out, you know, mm. replacing it comes in, it goes out. In. It didn't really matter. But that was a one of the factors I know that they thought that I was, you know, wasn't serious about it and, and so on because Did you feel that you got not the right not a fair crack at that? Yeah. Like that they bit. had their mind made up before yeah, they that? did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You know, for other factors that albeit I don't really want to go in and sound mm. like it was sour grapes mm. or any of that. But that's just but a little bit of it, honestly, will fall back on me wholly and solely with just been a little bit reserved, mm. you know, on track as well, mm. knowing that I wasn't going to jeopardise for the sake of a couple of tents even crashing that car. Mm. You know, there's been so many people that even around Winton uh, have crashed cars to the point where have ended weekends and, and different or careers. Test, test days that have ended opportunities. A lot, yeah. you know. So, yeah, yeah I was just saying, once again, I wasn't going to be that guy. And, look, didn't didn't bother me. I still had some things in the pipeworks, you know, going forward mm. and, didn't really bother me too much because I was quite happy doing the job that they'd instilled in me every year anyway and that was to, to rock up and do the two races and be the co-driver and hand mm. the car over. Mm. And for that whole period from 2000 to 2011 when you did your last Bathurst 1000, you never were a full-time supercar driver. No. Was that Tasman gig the only real chance you got to get yeah, an opportunity? pretty much, yeah. Yep, yeah. Had I probably shown my true colours and just let it rip, a few years um, and taken those chances, but it's just always in the back of my mind that if I bend it, I mm. would mend it. You know, I just because I didn't want my guys back in the day, and and for me, you know, it was that to finish first, first myself to finish, and and I wanted to to do the best job that I could each time, and knew that we were still in with a chance at the end of the race when that checkered fell, that I'd done my job and handed it over. Sometimes not albeit fast, wet weather. I love the wet weather. You know, I had some really good races up at the mountain in the in the rain and and watched Scafie and, and Russell fire off in front of me over through McPhillamy and and I managed to stay on the track and so on. When the, the conditions got really treacherous at the top and it was dry at the bottom, you know, it's like, do you want slicks? Uh. Uh, you know, <laughs> do you want wets? Do you want slicks? What? Yeah, I want slicks for the bottom, but I want wets for the top. Yeah, yeah. Can you, and can it, we do and a pit stop up there and still straight, happens, you know. <laughs> you know, but it was one of those things. You just had to drive to the conditions and, and it's something that I, yeah, I, I hang my hat on that I that I did each time. Hey, one of the things that we love 
you've, you know VH Sleuth, it's our thing. We love old stuff. We love the history. We love the heritage. We love memorabilia. And I just want to quickly throw in our um, friends at the motorsporttrader.com. They deal in all this sort of stuff all the time, race suits and panels and all sorts mm. of stuff. Um, they buy, they sell, they consign. Uh, have a look at their website. It's themotorsporttrader.com. There's all sorts of interesting stuff on there, which is my segue through the plug. Um, memorabilia. What I find when I talk to guys on this podcast and girls is that they're either total hoarder, number, you know, 10 on the scale, keep everything, or number one, don't care, gave it all away, sold it, got rid of it all. Where are you on the the scheme of keeping stuff from I'm, your motorsport career? I've kept, I've got a, a tub of each year that I've driven. So, um, you know, we were fortunate enough with the Monaro, I had two suits, but mine were pretty well worn over those you couple did of years. A lot of racing, yeah. um, we had two suits, and obviously with those fires, it was a big part of me and my my wife's family being up at Corion where they got devastated by those fires back in late nineteen, early twenty, prior to COVID, and. I want to do my bit, so I auctioned one of those suits off and donated all those funds to CFA mm. um, and Red Cross. I remember Cross. you doing that, yeah. So, you know, I felt good about that because I didn't need two suits. But I'm at a point now, yes, I've still got all my suits and all the rest of it, but I guess financially I'm not probably in a, in a great position because it's hard after, you know, you finish racing and so on, I guess mentally as well too sometimes where you, you go from living it to then not and watching it and then even sort of fading away a little bit to, you know, so it's, yeah, there's a there's a fair mental battle as well with, mm. with some of those things and I guess um, financially I might be at a point where I might take photos of more of the stuff. I like having mm. some of these things but do I need them? You know, yeah, the memories are there but what am I going to do with them? As well, so yeah, there, there might come a time very soon that I'll I'll prompt might start to move some of these things on. But talk to me, talk yes. to me. We'll find good homes we'll for them. We'll find good <laughs> homes for them. Um, there, there's so many things that I, I wanted to, to cover off. We, we covered off some of. The, I mentioned it before. As much as you didn't get a full time main game seat, you did do a full time season of supercars. Was in the development series with mm. Robert Smith from Ballarat, who had a, a two car team. You and Jeff Emery drove that year in 06. So that was your one year to actually have yeah. your own car and and run full time. That was an old Paul Morris car, Bam Bam. 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 Remember yes, Bam Bam? Uh, that's re emerged in recent times with a, a new owner who's put it back to the Smith's Trucks livery. Yeah, of, right. uh, I think yeah. it was one of the early ones, but great opportunity. I think. Mac trucks were yeah. were part of that, weren't they? Yeah. To to give you your, your one full time season in a supercar. Yeah, yeah. Rob gave me that opportunity, and there was no you know money outlay because once again we just did not have the money to go racing um, to do that. And yes, doing the enduros and so on. But he gave me the opportunity to go and drive his car and represent his team for him, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. You know, I was up against some really fierce competitors um, running for Perkins, and so that was a, a tough one. There was a lot of, you know, your Delbertos, and there was a lot of guys in there that obviously went on to race full-time and, and so on, but it was a, it was a cool 2006, was, was very cool, running around in this car and knowing that the heritage of that car as well, and we didn't have. I think the engine was still old spec engine, didn't have the the new spec engine in it, so we were battling there with that. But handling wise, even unfortunately to this day, that year even with PWR, we had some issues with the PWR car. That my development car was actually a better handling car than <laughs> the main game car that we were driving. So that was a, a bit of a disappointment and made it hard to do those races that year for PWR. I mean, we still did a good job. I mean, we still finished those races, but it was it was really cool yeah, mm. in 2006. Very cool. Mm. And then you end up 
back with HRT, uh, with, well, Todd for Sandown, bit of a shuffle, Scaife gets his appendix out and yeah. you end up in a um, in a car with him and then with Cito. Cito in a red car blew our minds because yeah. he, he'd he been a Nissan and a Ford man for so long and here he is in the red pants. Is that the worst part of drive HRT, having to wear the red pants? Yeah, you did look like a blood clot, but <laughs> at the end of the day you stood out. I mean, people knew, wow, Ooh, I mean, what's this? We knew, we, we knew who you were driving <laughs> yeah, for. That's right. <laughs> so, look, at the end of the day that was that was pretty cool. And, and you know, looking back at 2006, and I think I know you're going to allude to it most likely. You, is, you, you just tell the story. I, I don't have to start Yeah, it. I got a phone call and we're over in Adelaide at Malala and I was a bit vocal at the time with different things driving. You in know, the and, press. In the press. Yeah. And, and I was a bit disappointed that the likes of Shane and, and Jack Shane Price driving and Jack for Perkins, Perkins yep. Engineering and um, could go and test and practice in their, like a practice car, a ride car, and they could go all around. Look, at the end of the day, it was a jealousy thing. I mean, there was a loophole in the rules that you could do it. Mm. I was just jealous. Because we didn't have the money to go and do it. So we're always on the back foot coming to these different tracks because they'd already been there and tested and so on. And I wanted to, to be up the front and, and winning races and it become hard when you're up against kind of two factory entered, entered cars. But And it was, honest to God, just more of a, a jealousy thing. And, and I got a phone call from LP and, wow, I mean, he ripped me a new one. He – and I, I can't – I cannot obviously – Go word for word because no. it was it was pretty full on. But he was let's just say he was disappointed in what I'd said to the press. Some about fruity Jack. words yeah. fired at you. Yeah, absolutely. Comments. Yeah, and that I needed to pull my head in and yeah, stop being what I was, just vocal. Um, you know, but that's that's LP wearing his heart in his sleeve, and and that's all good. And I apologised, you know, so heartily to him because I knew I'd probably said the wrong things because. You know, with Jack and Shane being up and coming and coming through the the ranks was was just one of those things. But as I found out later on, you know, it was the time that they found out that Jack had diabetes. So, mm. you know, he was pretty vocal himself, I will P, and hundred percent every right to to give me a and rip me a new one. And at the end of the day, there was no hard feelings about it because years later he rang me up for a different reason. Two years later he gave you a drive, he gave me a drive with so, Jacko. Yeah. So that was really cool, you know, because as I said, I, I'm not one for for big noting myself and, you know, ripping into someone if I didn't feel like it was fair and, and I'd probably done the wrong thing and I'll own up to that. And that's why I guess LP seen that honesty and still, you know, opened his doors to mm. have me come in and drive with Jack in his team. And you finished eighth at Phillip Island and at Bathurst in yeah. the second yeah, car because, you know, it was, it was still Jacko and my little last saying, and she's an 08 and 8th eight, in 08. It yeah. was a lot yeah. of eights that time. And, yeah. look, I was, I was stoked for him for him to go on and, and finish on the podium at Bathurst because in recent times because up until that time it it was still in 08 was his best finish was with me at Bathurst, <laughs> you know, and he's done his fair share around that mountain mm. and had the name. Um, I mean, I hate to think the amount of years that that name's driven around that iconic yeah. joint. Yeah. So it was good to see him get up on the podium with JC. You did one with the Stig, with the Kellys the next year, Ben Collins, yeah. who uh, was a great guy. He was, um, of course, off the back of the Stig, he's, you know, and he's still big now working in movies and, and all that sort of stuff. But uh, And then a couple of years with, with Lucas Dumbrell's team through the Holden connection with, with Noski and, and yeah. Luffy yeah. as well with, with yeah. Warren Luff. So yeah. 2011's your last V8 supercar start. Was it a case that after that, 
you didn't really chase it or the phone stopped ringing or – Yeah, I just – I guess that competitiveness had died off a little bit. You know, I, I knew – you know, I had unfortunately – and it was good that Bridie backed me up. It, when we went to – and I was the, the lead driver with Lucas up at Surface – and went out for qualifying. I had a terrible lead up. I crashed the car. That was, was my this the fault. Year that one got Pruitt. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And and then coming to qualifying and and the water brakes, you know, the squirters for water brakes that had leaked over the brakes, and I'd come down to start my first lap and smack the fence again. So it took us out of qualifying. And mate, I was feeling as low as I'd ever felt. It, it took me back to the two thousand and uh, two thousand. And I was, I was feeling at Phillip Island, at Phillip Island that, and yeah, I was feeling was really ordinary. Mm. You know, and as it turned out, Bridie had backed it up, the, the fact that there was water pouring out of the back of the car and, you know, and obviously because the, the thing had crapped itself, the water brakes and had gone all over the, the brakes because the thing wasn't pulling up and, I, and when I smacked the fence. So I was feeling pretty low and I just felt like I didn't want to chase it mm. anymore and, you know, so as it turned out. But at the end of the day, I still had that drive inside me to be competitive but maybe to move on and, and do something else because it was it's it's tough like supercars you got to be on the ball all the time it's yeah. one of those things you cannot lapse that concentration especially around the joint that has seen me you know finish a lot of races and was very good to me in mount panorama you couldn't lapse concentration for mm. you know, a tenth of a second around that joint otherwise you're in the fence there was just no room for error and I just felt like I couldn't do the job that, you know, I entrusted in myself to do for all these teams. So I just, yeah, didn't chase it but moved on then to do a bit of, you know, ute racing. I was going to say. Took me back to grassroots. (laughs) (laughs) At the time I was calling V8 utes on the TV, it was packed fields, 32 cars, 16 of uh, Falcon, 16 Commodores. Did you have fun? Because it always looked like you fit that category so well. You were so good for it. But it, it was genuinely a really enjoyable series. It was competitive. Don't get me wrong. There was some um, people who were selling their kids for half a second here and there because it like people were fully serious about it. But it had it had one of the best platforms of any support category. Television package was strong. You could go and get your sponsorship. You always had a full car. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was very good. And the racing was tough. You know, there were some big names in it. When I first started out, you know, Cam come on and Cam McConville and he had Bundaberg sponsorship. Right, so yeah. there was there was a lot of guys that had been in that category for a long time as well. So by no means was it a walk-up start for a podium. Yeah, mm. it was tough for a while until I got my head around how to drive that particular car. And, and I had a lot of enjoyable years for sure because the supercar stuff I took so serious, I, I never had a beer until Sunday night, mm. you know, in the lead up, the months leading up to a supercar race and so on, and then I made up for it in the ute racing. So, <laughs> you know, like I'd have a beer on a Saturday night or a Friday night, you know, I wouldn't yeah. go out and go stupid, but I'd, I'd – I just let Have my hair down a little yeah, bit yeah. and, and just enjoyed my racing. Station. No, that's yeah. right. You know, I had some really good sponsors over the years in, in the Utes, so that was really cool to have a lot of very cool companies but still ran that same analogy throughout my whole career even in the Utes. I still mm. wanted to finish. You know, mm. there wasn't often even in a Ute race that I'd, I'd have a DNF. But they did come because it's you're up Ute against race. other guys. That's if you pass someone fairly and they didn't like that, they're in your door the next corner, most likely to take you out. <laughs> I went back through the, the – I mean, you won a fair few races along the journey. You mm. were third in 2012. You were runner-up in 13. So you, you've got your head around it pretty quickly and and it was a it was a great, fun series and you did that. You, you did that for a fair while. You mm. had a go, though, and I want to ask you about this. You've done some 
weird shit, basically. Mm. You did jet boats yeah. on the water, which was wild, and then they let you loose in a stadium super truck at Adelaide. And didn't you nearly, like, have the biggest shunt of oh, all yeah. time? Oh, yeah, well and truly. Because the stadium super truck, you had to drive like a go-kart. You, could, you had to left foot brake, you know. Mm. There was just no room down in the footwell and so on, so you had to left foot brake to get – you couldn't get your foot around the steering column to, to brake with your right foot how you normally would. So you'd have to brake with your left foot. And I was literally practising – it was – Unreal that Nath um, Kayser gave me the opportunity to, to drive that that year. and But I was racing the ute and I pulled up in the ute in pit lane, jumped out of the ute after qualifying, or I think, and then jumped in the the actual stadium super truck and, and left pit lane and just thought I was braking when I was accelerating. Oops. And, yeah, just wrong-footed because of that getting that head around then jumping into this other car, which was then left-hand drive and so on as well. And, and hit the fence. So, yeah, it was pretty nasty. But the guys, once again, the guys did an unbelievable job to, to get it back out there. But unfortunately, they'd put a shock in the wrong way and, yeah, the shock had, had busted as well. But I still wanted to finish, even though I was wobbling around <laughs> looking <laughs> like a, yeah, a pretty ordinary bit of gear out there. I still got to the finish line. <laughs> that was the one time you had to go with that too. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, keep it that yeah, way. Yeah. Let's keep it that uh, way. Money, money. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's, that's a way to get around. That's a way to get around. Yeah. It wouldn't be a chat with you without asking about Randy Corners. It was a, an alter ego you came up with in the 2000s that you, yeah. you had crazy outfits, you did stuff on the V8 big screen telecast at the tracks. Um, what We got asked a lot of questions from fans about Randy Corners when yeah. we told them that you were going to come on the pod. How did that whole alter ego thing start? And I wanted to also okay. link it to... We talked about how perhaps your opportunities in racing didn't come because you were a bit safe on the track. Hmm. There's always a personality thing around you away from the track and the Randy Corners thing played up to this and helped this of your laconic nature and your fun. You were always one of the, the great guys of the paddock. Did that ever work against you? Because some people might have thought this Randy Corners thing, not all this other stuff, serious. you're not yeah. taking this shit seriously. Yeah, yeah uh, maybe. Maybe it did, you know. But at the end of the day, I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to enjoy my time uh, yeah, in the sport and all the rest of it. And I guess not many people know why Randy come about. And, and I'll be know. honest. Right. Well, it all boils down to a good mate of mine who I drove with and oh, grew on, up racing go-karts and so on, but uh, old uh, GT. Oh, right. Big so fella. Garth, yeah, only because he was obviously in the spotlight. He was racing um, and, and winning and so on, and, and I was still around the racetracks and everything. And and just this one day, he I said to him, how are you going, GT? And he, and he fobbed me off, like was just, okay, he's having a bad day, but he was really arrogant to me. And I thought, oh. So I kind of went, nah, and he did the same thing to me again. I thought, that's odd. You know, I know you're having a bad day, mate, but I'm I'm here for you. You know, at the mm. end of the day, you'll I'm get your, you'll get your head right. You know, yeah. and it's all good. You'll buddy, you'll get back to the front. We've all had these days where you're feeling down and and so on. And I just thought, if I was a Garth Tander fan, I'd be probably a bit disappointed and maybe take off me GRM jumper and and jacket and so on and and give it away because quite arrogant to me, albeit a friend. Mm. So I kind of thought. The only way I can get back at some of these other people that, for w- whatever reason, have a bit of an ego for some reason, I want to bring them back down to earth. I want them back down to my level and and not be so arrogant because I know the fans like to see the the humour side of people and what they're really like, you know, away from the racetrack and stuff. And I thought the only way to do that is to take the mickey out of myself, which I don't really 
care about, but have a bit of fun with it. And that's why I just for some reason just come up with this, had this old race suit and put a lanyards on and, and I could just go and have some fun with it. And and it was cool because at the time to give me the opportunity to do it in front of the big screen up there at a place where it's like that, Bathurst, you can get away with that really easily because let's be honest, I mean, we're not rednecks, but we're it's part of that that humour of Bathurst and not take so it, for the fans. It's not, not champagne so shipping. No, it's, we're not Formula bit. One. Yeah. Let's be honest. We are Ford versus Holden. At the end of the day, most of them are blue collar. Mm. They're just hardworking guys that will just outlay the cash and go and watch the racing and buy a jacket and so on. And I just wanted to show them that all these guys and Garth is a fun guy. So if just pull for some reason it. you're having a bad day and then he's treated you like this, that – they're not all that – they're not bad. So that's why – and then he was very good with the Randy side of things and we'd have some fun. You know, there were some guys that really didn't see it and I couldn't have fun with and take the mickey out of. But a lot of the guys seen the, the humour side of it and actually opened up to it and and just brought them back down to earth and showed the, the I guess, the punter um, and the fans that these – they're fun guys. Even though they're doing something that every one of us or every one of them would love to do, they're just normal human beings. Don't put them on a pedestal. They're just like you and I. And that's why just having a bit of fun with them with the microphone and taking the mickey out of them and stuff and let them have a bit of fun with it as well rather than, so how's your weekend going? Yeah, look, it's going really Serious, well. Yeah, straight, it was all, it's all, same old. And unfortunately old. to this day I, I still look at it and I – I'm kind of bored by a lot of it because it's still so serious. There's none of that jovial behind the scenes. Let's have a bit of fun. Mm. But yes, it's a serious thing. It's a big dollar sport. I get that. But let's show these guys and show the fans and everyone out there that don't put them on a pedestal. Mm. They're just doing what they love to do and they're fortunate enough to be a very small percentage of the population that get to do it. But they're just like you and I out there because at the end of the day, they'll go home and, and have a beer and sit down and yeah. enjoy life. Did you model Randy Corners on anyone in particular? Or was it just a no. case of I've got an old suit, there's some goggles, some lanyards, some big fake teeth started appearing yeah. after a while. I'm just going to see what I can get away yeah, with. Just make, yeah, just make it up as I go, you know, even to this day. COVID wasn't good to him. He's put on a few kilos. <laughs> He's in self-hibernation at the moment. Could there be a Randy Corners comeback somewhere, sometime, oh, somehow? you know what? He's spoken to me in depth about it. D&Ms. Oh, yeah. And right. he's slid in there a few times and is is keen. Yeah. Really keen. Okay. And and if he got the call up, it it would take a little bit of, you know, pre-training and stuff I, I to lose the COVID kilos. And but, some folding stuff as well. Oh, look, that's a that's a big motivator. <laughs> At the end of the day, he could keep the COVID kilos on. If there was some folding stuff, he'd be out in a heartbeat. <laughs> New material too. <laughs> I reckon after this podcast we're gonna have polls of people sending messages asking for Randy Corners to make a comeback. Because so, Fan Power got Larko's job back. Right. Got rid of um, paddles for the Gen 3 car. Right. I'm pushing yeah. for the Sandown 500 to come back. So maybe Randy could become the face of the Bring Back the Sandown 500 push. Oh, 100%. Because you know, there's so much Randy in the can that just hasn't been seen yet. Really? Too. Yeah, there's a lot of there's Randy in the can. Yeah, there is. And, you know, he'd love to be able to get that back out there. It's just that he's not very good. On that technological side of things, because oh. he's such old school. He's just analog. Yeah, massive. He's all about the chat. And and I knew that at the end of the day that Randy had a bigger fan base than than myself because the driver parades around Bathurst <laughs> those last couple of years, 
we were driving around and, yeah, I'm Nathan Pretty representing the team and, and whether it be Lucas at the time and Lucas let me bring that van and stuff in. Randy had a van and everything in pit lane and, and got away yeah. with a lot of cool stuff. And But Nathan was up there in the driver's parade going around Mount Panorama, you know, not knowing what would be his last and giving it the old, yeah, yes, you know, this is a lot of fun and there'd be the odd uh, – it was a lot more, let's just say it was a, probably 95% more, Randy rocks, Randy Corners, you rule, Randy, I want your baby, Randy, <laughs> Randy Corners, you know, come up, Randy. And then more often than not it was pretty, you're a flog. So that didn't go down too well. And I thought <laughs> maybe Randy needs to race because Nathan is not did, so did good ever, with it. Did a Randy race somewhere along the line? Yeah, he did, yeah. Where uh, was that at? That was at Sydney at Homebush. Where the dude got um, the dude got him a drive in the Utes, which was uh, that yeah. was the start of the Utes, wasn't it? Yeah, no, no, no. Before the Utes you have been raced, going. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. So Randy had a a not too successful showing, um, unfortunately. But you raced as Randy Corners. But raced well, as, you entered as, as Randy Corners. Entered as Randy. Did you have Corners. to legally change your name for that? No, because there was a loophole that the dude had found. Paul Morris, order, by the Paul way, Morris, dude, yeah. yeah. Uh, in order to enter, Randy. So same. There's a lot of yeah, a lot of cool pictures. It was a, it was a tough one. I mean, obviously, you know, the teeth and the hair and. <laughs> so you raced in costume? No, because the. <laughs> he, Where's your commitment? He was just he, he, just had a set of gums. That's all he, <laughs> he was just dri- driving around with a set of gums That's and had to put his falsies back in when he got out, <laughs> just in case the ladies were there at the, uh, in Park Fermat. <laughs> Love it, love it. Um, yeah. I think you did a one-off in Super Utes a couple of years back in the, the diesel era in yeah. Super Utes. They've yeah. got V8s now in them. Yep. Are you open to having a pedal of, of something? Yeah, you know what, I mean, for, it was, for a bit of fun? Yeah, for sure. 2017 with the last of the V8s and, and Dave Murphy, who ran me all those years ago, my brother-in-law, decided to dust it off and we come back in 17 and I hadn't raced for a year even up until then and I come back and, and won it at Bathurst and then had 2018 off and then... Charlie gave him the opportunity to drive once again a Colorado, a Holden, with AC Delco, so factory backing um, around the the mount. And, yeah, went up and had one practice run and thought, Jesus, this is different. And then <laughs> as it turned out, yeah, it, it all panned out really good and you're only as good as your last race, which was 2019, and mm. come away with a win. That was Yeah, it was good. I, I thank Charlie often because it was a good opportunity to, to go up there. I'm never going to say no to a race around the mountain, you know, mm. I mean, as long as it's got some sort of competitiveness about it and the fact is that it, the car's, you know, going to be somewhat safe for sure, mm. then, then yeah, I'd be mm. I'd be a part of it because it still, it still burns. The, the fire's still burning in there, albeit not much kindling on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's stoking a little bit, though. Yeah, it wouldn't be right. hard. It wouldn't be hard. So you talked a bit earlier about you're out of the scene, you know. So the last supercar race was 2011, so we're 11 years. Yeah. On from it now, so Thanks that's me. just as long out of it that you were doing it for. So yeah. you, you just yeah. made a little comment a bit earlier about feeling a bit down and a bit out yeah. of of motorsport. Is that been something that's hard to deal with? Because um, you were so the whole Holden thing was big for you for for so many years, and then you still did the Utes, but you almost feel like do you feel like the industry forgot you, or that you just no. went off and did other stuff and yeah, did just really missed what you the thing that you loved and the people and the the whole experience of yeah, it? Yeah, a little bit. No. No fault other than my own. I mean, there's – I was very, to myself and still are, 
you know, I, I still to this day, I keep to myself a lot. I live in the bush <laughs> virtually, um, just on the outskirts of Melbourne and, and I'm very much to myself. I don't go out and party or mingle a lot very often um, and all catch up with a lot of the racing fraternity. I mean, Rick and I still catch up a fair bit. I've got a lot of time for, for Rick and, you know, they've been, the Kelly boys have been fantastic to me over the years and going to be very close mates with them, spend a lot of time up in Mildura and um, doing different fun things, tripping to America and, and so on. But I guess just that it was no fault other than mine. But, yeah, I'd still like to be involved and certainly from whether it's Randy or not, having that Mickey side of it because, as I said, I watch it to this day and I still I find that it's everything's just so serious. So I know straight. there's a reason yep. because it's a big money thing and I know that I copped a fair bit even with Randy at the time doing some things in corporate box V8 supercar world and they're like, this is not what we're about. It's not corporate. It's not corporate. But even though... I don't remember interviewing anyone that, that turned away and, and snobbed me off through being too corporate mm. because at the end of it, you've got to have fun. I mean, life, I just like making people smile and, and having a laugh at the end of the day. And whether it's at my own expense, I've got no qualms at all about doing that, as you can see, and, and have done in the past. I just want these guys not to be held on pedestals, whether it be guys or girls, and just you know, crew or otherwise. I mean, they're living their, their best life and, you know, if they're loving it, then just make sure you're, they're enjoying it. And I just want the outside world to see that because at the moment it's just it's just too – it's so serious mm. Mm. all the time. True. doesn't need to be. No, it needs some Randy. Mm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Start it, it up. Let's get Randy. Yeah. There's the hashtag <laughs> yeah. For, uh, yeah. for the future to come. Mate, a couple no. of little things to finish off with. I know we've taken a lot of time, and yep. we, but we've covered a lot of great stuff and really appreciate you, you coming in. National Motor Racing Museum up at the mountain where there's some cool stuff. Um, we have our National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions. So some okay. some fan questions that they've fired in on, on socials in the last couple of weeks when we told the world that you were going to come right. to. So there has actually someone's multiples. Oh, surprise. multiples and some good ones among them too. Okay, uh, a few that I couldn't repeat, and a few that you've probably actually already answered over the okay. journey. So I'll skip them. Yep. Uh, Matthew Crawley, what's your favourite V eight supercar moment in your career? Favourite supercar moment, probably the the fourth with Rick, uh, you know, at Bathurst. Um, yep. But but albeit, I mean, something as little or not be. As competitive as what we would have hoped, but driving with Cedar, that's know, same cool. deal. Yeah, mm. an icon of the sport. It's been around a long time. To have him wearing red for the first time, yeah, I mean that was that was a cool opportunity to to drive with Cedar. Just a, such a great guy. Mark Pickley, what's a good Todd Kelly story that no one knows about? I think he wants you to put him under the bus, here, Bob. Oh, you don't. We don't have to put him under the bus. It's just the fact that you, if you get a handshake out of TK, you're doing well. You know, That's it. It's it's one of those things. He's he's a bit of a germaphobe, you know. Which <laughs> a lot of people that he was know. just he was just not very greeting. Oh no no, Todd's no, he's very greeting. I mean, we've had some great times over the over the past, but yeah, Todd's a very different person away from a racetrack. Let's put it like that. You get him on his farm in his own little environment. And uh, the true TK comes out, a, a very fun, fun guy. We've been asked a lot by our, our listeners about the boys because, of course, Rick stopped driving a couple of years ago and, yeah. and Todd's now out of the, the team that was, was on sold to mm. the Grow family. And I have asked Rick about doing the podcast, but he's very much just off doing his 
life now. So hopefully one day down the track I can convince him to sit down over oh, a, he will. He, a coffee you know, or two I mean, somewhere down the track. He was good We'd at love the media stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So he'll be back. Plenty, plenty <laughs> to talk about with those boys. Um, Corey State is our regular food critic question maker. Does beetroot belong on hamburgers? Absolutely. I agree totally. That's yep. an easy one. Yep. Totally easy. Like one. pineapple doesn't on pizzas. It does well. so. No, mate. Really? Oh, you want it? You want it? <laughs> don't shape up. No, gonna, don't shape I was up. I say, lucky we Jeez. got to the end of this podcast before I know because we're talking about food that you're starting to get uh, aggressive. It's about lunchtime <laughs> as we record this, so don't worry. I'm getting a little bit famished. Um, Glenn Schadenfreude, I hope I've said your surname right, Glenn. What's the one drive that got away that you would have loved to have taken up? Um, Any cool cars that you had to turn down because they were the wrong brand or something that you thought, oh, I'll get to yeah, do that another a, day? Or Ah, stump me. Mm. No, stump me. I'm, You've got to have a go at pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, the other thing that we do too is the top ten shootout. It's word association. I'm going to name some stuff, ten things, and you give me the first word that comes into your head. Okay. You can't repeat. Right. And you can't, well, you can use two or three words. I'll just hyphenate them and then that's one word. Yep. Can you edit this? (laughs) 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 Depends what you say. Yep, copy. Okay. Thunderdome. Just fun all round. Fun. Yeah. Rick Kelly. Top guy. Two words, but I'll let you have it. Uh, Legend. Legend. Oh, nice. Gary Rogers. So it's done in one word. Give me whatever it takes to describe it. Um, just the the time and the that he gave to me meant meant a lot. You know, like he was just an unbelievable mentor. Even really, there's a word mentor. The icon Peter Brock. I've already used legend. Um, and I say icon because in the Holden Motorsport world of drivers, everyone called him the icon. Motor yeah. shows and. Driving with him or whatever they did. Oh, where's the icon? Oh, he's down the road with nine million people signing it. God, there you go. Yeah, geez, that's big. Yeah, it is. It was. He, I learned a lot from the guy, and you know, obviously, taken way too soon. That's for sure. And, mm. and doing something that he loved, though. But mm. Brad Jones, um, helpful. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah, because he was in in my early days. He was very helpful in in. Because did you get you aspects. get some cars from those guys? Yeah, we did, absolutely. Yeah, 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 his old Oscars. Yeah. Oh, they'd probably won some stuff before. Oh, got they, them too, they had, so. and they weren't too wrecked <laughs> up until we got them. <laughs> <laughs> um, a guy who you mentioned earlier, Simon McNamara. What can I say? That he he did so much for me in, in other areas of the motorsport fraternity and, and kept me involved, you know, on different levels from me being probably one of the only Drivers that didn't have a full time drive, the things that he did for me. So, inclusive is probably the word we're looking for. Inclusive, yeah. Yep. What, did, what did he do outside of the under the umbrella? Stuff? Oh, just he he helped. He was in the the forefront to help with teams as well to to keep me involved in in the sport as well. You know, I could have I could have quite easily drifted off a lot earlier um, if it wasn't for Simon and you know after him taking over from Steve Owen. You know, there's been so many people back in my day, um, you know, with Gerald helping with media stuff and being an, an ex Wodonga boy, you know, going through hard times and stuff too now. It's just it's a shame to see because we're, we're, none of us, we're not getting any younger now. Mm. And I think we spoke about this. It's it's a difficult time for a lot of us that have been involved in the sport, you know, all those years ago. Mm. Garth Tander. 
<laughs> Randy. <laughs> Not for those reasons, but we've spoken about that. <laughs> Hopefully no one's just tuned in for this last part of the pod. Yeah, that's right. You'll have to rewind and understand what the, what yeah, the, the meaning the, behind that the, is. The tall chat. Monaro. Love. Bathurst. Home. And that's nine, so I've got to add ten. Randy Corners. Literally Randy. <laughs> in and away from the track. Um, oh, stupidity. Nothing wrong with a bit of stupidity. There's not enough of it yeah. uh, in the world these days. Yeah. Nathan, thanks, mate. It really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed as much as I have and our, our listeners have to go back over what's been an amazing story from cabs to Bathurst, to drive for the factory Holden team, to put in some of the, the best drives seen at the mountain, to win the inaugural 24-hour, um, forever linked to that yellow car and forever part of Holden Motorsport history. So thanks for popping by, mate. Really appreciate it. Honestly, thanks very much for the invite here to Sleuth Headquarters. Um, it's been a long time. I know I've, I would love to have come across and, and said hello and I hope I haven't bored anyone, that's for sure. It's gone on a long time and at the end of the day, I mean, it's just uh, I've been privileged to be a part of this whole fraternity and and category over the years. So, yeah, I I look forward to maybe other things in in the future if they're with with Randy. Never know. Bring Randy back. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. I've got to tell you, everybody, I really love that sit-down with Nathan Pree. A big thank you to Nathan for spending some time and coming into V8 Sleuth headquarters to sit down for the chat. I got a lot out of it, and I think he did too, and I hope you did as well to hear some stories that you might not have heard before from the guy from Wodonga that went all the way to Mount Panorama and became a part of the Holden family as well. Nathan Pretty, what a ripper. Great to have him on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Now, next week, we keep the supercar theme rolling along. My guest on the pod next week is a guy who's the co-owner of Tickford Racing that you don't really know a great deal about. Sven Burkhartz is a long-time Porsche fan, Porsche racer, but he's also part of the supercar family as well. And I sat down with him for a great chat. Here's just a little taste of what you can expect next week. My mum had borrowed her boss's old orange 911 and for the weekend saying, look, can I drive this? What she didn't tell him was that uh, she'd entered into a ADAC tarmac rally and, um, <laughs> and competed. What um, was this? Well, I was, so this is late 60s. And um, so I was six or seven. Um, and so she she's done this, come back, and I remember seeing this Porsche come in, and then Mum went away for the weekend, and Mum came back, and the Porsche disappeared, and that was the end of it. Until a few years later, she told me about it, and um, she won, and she got the gold medal. That's it, Sven Burkhart's next week on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. Don't forget every Tuesday the Castrol Motorsport News podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Listen wherever you get your pods from. Of course, you can listen to it too through the v8sleuth.com.au website as well. Every Thursday or Friday as well, Repco Supercars Weekly, where I bring you all the latest and greatest of news from the championship. We have got a massive week every week when it comes to the Motorsport Podcast Network. There is something for you all the way through the week. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the pod. I'll be back with you in seven days' time for another sit-down chat as part of the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco.
Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.